Welcome to the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, brought to you as always by L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners go engaged and where you pay for billboards in parts. Uh, yep. 7 of 7 Walnut in Philadelphia, always at LLPavorsky.com. I am Spike Eskin, along with uh, professional sports disruptor Mike Levin. <laughs> I I think calling calling yourself like a like a social disruptor is yeah, one of the worst horrible. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my brother and I actually yeah. make fun of that a lot. But uh, you just, yes, yeah. Um, it's um, like anybody that wears like a sarcasm shirt. Like you're not, you don't yeah. get it. Yeah, if you're wearing that shirt, you're not, you're not, you're doing it wrong. Yes, yes. Well, on we're always everyone's always doing it wrong to somebody else, I guess. So, but those people are always doing it wrong. I think. Yes. So, yeah. All right. So on the show today, before we get to uh, the billboard stuff, on the sh- first of all, we're recording this on Tuesday because it is Valerie's birthday this weekend, and Ooh, a little behind the scenes. Yeah, I I won't be around. So we are recording today's podcast on Tuesday with a guest who was very popular around this time last year, a professional scout, uh, Elon Vinokarov, who um, who we had on prior to the draft last year, who we're going to have on twice. We're going to have him on now to sort of talk about uh, his reaction to how everything played out with his, you know, with what he thought would happen this year and maybe some big topics, you know, Simmons versus Ingram and that kind of stuff. And then once we know the lottery order, we will have him on again and we'll talk, we'll get a little bit more into the nitty gritty, as it were. Yeah, so, and we'll have, we'll have Derek on again and we'll have yes. Ricky O'Donnell on again and that'll be the, that'll yep. be the crew. Yeah. Um, so the podcast is always available on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Google Play. What? Google Play Music. So if you have an Android phone, just open up your Google Play app, and there's a podcast section, and you can listen there. So we appreciate all your reviews and your ratings. The Lottery Party, in case you saw on Interstate 95, is <laughs> May 17th from 6 p.m. until 10 p.m. with many. It's free. It's all ages free all ages with many giveaways from LL Pavorsky Jewelers in case you can look on my Twitter the Rights Ricky Sanchez Twitter or Mike's Twitter you can see the TTP diamond ring worth over $2,500 that will be given away um the parking is free as well. A, a note about this. First of all, just go to rightstrickysanchez.com or xfinitylive.com to get the free parking ticket. You just got to download there. If you go to any of our – you go to the Lottery Party post on my site or or Liberty Ballers. Um, the You have to pull into a little note I got today and everyone who already downloaded will get an email. It's free parking. Download the ticket. Either print it out or have it on your phone. It, uh, you must pull into gate C or D. And uh, that's at the Wells Fargo Center, and there's a parking map right on the site where you download it from. It's really easy. And hopefully, if you try to pull into the wrong one, they'll just send you to C or D. So make sure you go into C or D. Um, you can buy T-shirts at uh, cheesesteaktees.com. Go to the Rights to Ricky Sanchez place. So we Also, uh, lottery party, all ages. People keep asking that. Yes. All all ages. ages. We know Xfinity Live is not always all ages. We demanded that it be all ages for this. The lottery party is all ages. It is free, and the parking is free with that ticket, and that ticket is free. So free and all ages. It is going to be quite a party. I think we really turned it up a notch with the Process Secret Society's purchase 
of the <laughs> Pinky Forever billboard on um, on I ninety five. Of course, the only part of the society not secret is the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, and of course, LL Pavorsky Jewelers. But there are many other donors. I think so Tanner didn't Tanner make himself known? On yeah, the- Tanner Tanner Steidel is one of them. There's I was. Uh- I think it's, it's it's less surprising of a list than we're making it sound. We, I like I like keeping it like redacted uh-huh. because it makes it seem like there's some real big heavy hitters behind it, and yeah. to some extent there is, but it's not like Will Smith did not contribute to this billboard. No, I can say well, that. Yeah. I can say that right now. Yeah. Uh, there. Yeah. N- um, Jazzy you know, Jeff. I won't say that if he did or not. Didn't. N- not going to comment on that. I couldn't say it either way. Not going to comment on whether Woj donated to, oh, uh, you know. Yeah. No, no, not Woj, not Woj either. Yeah. Uh, do you That'd think- be the best if he goes, <laughs> Woj just like becomes a huge, he just puts lick face in his, in his Twitter bio, <laughs> in because, his bio. because he hates, he hates Colangelo so much. Uh, yeah. Who else uh, that I'm trying to think of? Uh, you know, Brian Geltseiler, uh, the, the critic of hoops, not a donor. Um, Keith Pompey, not a donor. Not mm. a donor. Yeah. You know what I was thinking the other day when I was looking at because uh, I tweeted that we didn't put Lickface on the billboard. We should have. Well, let me Maybe tell you something. Should. We can change the billboard. We still can. Also, day. yeah, I think we can. Uh, I think we should at some point re-explain Lickface, or at least put because we only have we only said it like in that one podcast. We've remember? said it a couple of, but we've explained it a couple of times. My, my, yeah, my favorite part is when someone, this mostly only happens on Sixers Reddit, when somebody goes, hey, what does Lickface mean? And and other people shame them and say, <laughs> yo, uh, there's something called Google, or or you could listen to an old podcast. Like they, they very rarely actually answer the person. Yeah, maybe in a coming podcast we'll explain. I think it's just if you're a fan of the podcast and you want to be able to recognize other fans of the podcast. Yeah, you uh, should know what it means. Throw Lickface in your Twitter bio. Yes, put it. Put hashtag Lickface in your Twitter bio. And know the are you down with TTP? Yeah, you know Lickface. You really don't need to know what it means to be able right. to participate. Because it doesn't mean anything at all. Yeah, or you know, while you're working or running, listen to old podcasts and see what you stumble <laughs> upon. When you know, because the- I just wanted to say it because, I mean, I imagine that there's people who were just driving home from work. Yep. And saw the name of a podcast and decided to check it out. Well, my how many f- people? How many people do you think that is? Honestly, none. people. Do you think none? None. Because here's the thing, Mike. It doesn't even say podcast on there. It, it just says right. rights to Ricky Sanchez. I would have <laughs> no idea what that even means. Yeah, yeah. none at all. Uh, a bunch of people have asked. We know that Sam has seen the billboard. There was very short reaction (laughs) it wasn't a reaction that you would like it was very sam reaction to it a a sam level reaction yeah Yeah, don't expect much of anything he's not coming to the lottery party i mean a lot of and we honestly he couldn't yeah that that would be shitty i mean if he was the gm still and he came to lottery party yeah that'd be awesome but uh he can't he can't and if he look if people are saying you should invite him. Let me just make it clear. Sam Hinkie is invited to the lottery party. Like Sam Hinkie's invited to my house. Yeah, Sam Hinkie's always invited to everything. So, so yeah, thank you for everyone who took part in the billboard. It was mostly a, you know, we've said a million times that 
that we are sort of set up now. And uh, that guy and that plan gave us something to believe in and talk about over the last three years. And I, I was just, I think we were just really thankful and bummed how it ended. And really, it was never going to end well. It was never going to end well. It just I disagree couldn't. with that. I eh. disagree. You know what? It, it could have ended in a uh, dynasty. That's uh, how I saw it. I saw it ending in a dynasty. It things I guess I this is uh, things uh things don't end well or they wouldn't end at all I guess so nothing ever it's rare that a GM leaves Yeah I mean like Mark Cuban could have like stabbed him and that would have been like yeah okay yeah yeah that yeah. that ended poorly but we'd still you know have a bunch of championships under my belt yeah you know that'd be we, cool we don't have that we don't have that at all I was I wanted to say cuz uh you know, there was also – we also reported – reported. I don't know what reported means. Uh, that the Sixers uh, front office uh, slash yeah. ownership has seen it, has seen the billboard. And uh, they're not happy, which we get. Uh, but let's be real. We played the – we played this on the line. There was no, there was never like – the billboard didn't – and I don't know if you, want, if you want to talk about this publicly, but like we could have gone so much worse. Yeah, and so much meaner. Yeah, and we, so much more directed. We just were celebrating the three years of certainly not success, but planned success that we all appreciate and finally latched onto after a lifetime's worth of horribly run Sixers organizations. Yeah, I will say this. I will say that that I'm not surprised that they're not thrilled. I wouldn't be thrilled either. But to your point, we made a concerted effort. Like there were different versions of this billboard. There were different ideas. There were, you know, people have tweeted us, "Oh, you should have put a snake on there." Like all, there are a million things we could have done, and we decided. I wouldn't call this the high road, but, <laughs> but you know, I would certainly say that we never. Given the circumstances, and we never made it a secret that we were fans of his, and we defended, and we we did a lot of defending of the organization over the last few years. Yeah. Let, let's not champion champions of ownership for yeah. three years. Yeah, defending people who bought tickets. Blah 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 blah. So I will say that all things considered, the fact that we are celebrating a, a guy who we like. Think of it. Here's how. Think of it as a player who got traded, and we were just like. You know, thank you, Nerlens, after our third straight championship when they trade Nerlens or something like that. Like that's that's all. It was a thank you from a specific group of fans who really had a good time over the last few years under very strange circumstances. So yes, and if it reads to you like a fuck you, well then that's how you read it. That's how you read it. That's but how I, you read it. I read it as a thank you, and may who knows, maybe one of the days this week it's just thank you, Sam. You know, that was one of the different things that, that we mm – -hmm. so we, we do have the, – the billboard will be up through Sunday. So it, we, didn't, we didn't even put trust the pro process, which would feel – I think to me feel a little uh, imposing yes. looking looking over various yeah. cars yeah, it would look driving. Very, very scary. It would look very yeah. – I remarked that the – I don't know if you've ever – have you ever seen They Live with Rowdy Rowdy Piper? No. Okay. It's a great movie. And anyone who anyone who's listening to this podcast, please tell Mike it's a great movie. It's great in a sort of uh, goofy way, 80s way, but it's also really awesome. But it's basically about Rowdy Roddy Piper and this other guy figure out that everyone in the world, all the rich people are aliens that are uh, – they, they could only see by using these glasses that are basically using subliminal messages to keep everyone sleeping. 
you know, not asleep, okay. but, but, but there are, there are billboards that, that like say, think, say one thing, but really like the subliminal message is something else. Uh, okay. And sure. I, I realized that our billboard looks like a billboard from they live. I, I, <laughs> you really need to watch the movie. To, does it, to does it all take place in Piper's pit or no? No, it does not take place in Piper's he, pit. Does he play Rowdy Rowdy Piper or no? No, no, no. But I mean, he's essentially right. He's not a wrestler, but he's Rowdy Rowdy Piper. It's a really good, it is a really good movie. All right, all right, all right, all right. All right. So we got to call, I told Elon we call him at seven. So uh, can we call him? I you love, to, I love, we him. have so much, wait, should we talk about the billboard for five seconds? It was like, yeah. it was yeah. like a big, I mean, okay. yeah. we, we teased it so much on of the Monday thing. Okay. So it's going to be up for the rest of the week. Yep. Uh, you'll be listening to this on Friday. Uh, by the time you listen to this, we may have already changed the name the quote on the billboard yeah um it it was so it, so i had the idea and i don't i did i almost didn't want to do it it almost felt like oh god damn it like we gotta right because you usually plan all the stuff and this was yeah. i would say more me yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, but you like executed it, right? I, uh, I don't even want to comment on what my 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 involvement. I was involved, but you were more involved. It was. Uh, we could have done it like um, crowdfunding, go, GoFundMe thing. Yeah. And what we and I know that the people listening to this podcast and people on Liberty Ballers, whatever, would have been excited to do that. But we a wanted it to be a surprise. It yeah. sort of felt a little gross to me to be like, Hey, everybody send me money so we can put up a billboard. It just felt, it didn't feel right to yeah. me. And I also, if we talked about it before it was up, I could also have seen it the six or somebody shutting it down. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So. It's, it's a lot harder to shut down while it's already up there than it is to shut it down when, but we saw what happened when you saw what happened when they didn't let people wear Sim hinky shirts. Uh, like we turned yeah. that into an issue. So yeah, yeah. I think ultimately it was it was a good idea of yours to surprise everyone with it because then the reaction is better too, and you know everything. So so thanks everyone who volunteered money uh, after the fact. Like it really does me any good. But but thank yeah. you for volunteering after the. Fact. I did I did like the people because we posted on Liberty Ballers and and I would say ninety to 95% of the people that are like, this is amazing. This is so dumb. It's great. All that stuff. Uh, but then there's a couple people just being like, what a waste of money. What a waste yeah. of time. Yeah. It's really, I, I like those. I was looking for more of those, honestly, more like pitying. Yeah. Us. Like, yeah. Like there's a couple, there's weirdly, I'm always confused by, you know, active fans that weren't on board with the process. People yeah, that yeah, yeah. commented on blogs or on Twitter and were just like, no, this is wrong. This is stupid. I, I can imagine a guy who's just like home. Yeah, why didn't you just go away? Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. that was the thing. It's like, why didn't you go away? Because if you're that into it, you should be able to see how much better it, it will get. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're – I could see the guy who's just at home like, like grilling and is like, nah, they suck. And doesn't like have an opinion other than that, just like, why are they so bad? This is embarrassing, all that stuff, and just doesn't give a shit. But if you care enough to like read blogs or listen to podcasts or whatever, like, isn't there a sense of there's like not like an intelligence threshold, but there's like a time threshold that you get past where you're like, oh, I see what it's like here, and I'm thinking deeply enough about it to know that it could be this much better. Yeah, yeah. I, I, 
I just can't imagine. I just, why, why would you torture yourself with that? I just, I, I would go away. I would be like, oh, these guys are dicks. I would leave one comment and then I would never come back again. Yeah. I would never participate. I mean, I almost respect. There's a lot of people that are, that are into that, that are into like, I'm going to be the troll on this site. To be honest with you, I even I respect them more <laughs> than us because they're more committed to their cause than we are. Man, you respect the troll. You're fans of trolls. Yeah, yeah. Well, as long as they are, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I think I think uh, a good. There's nothing wrong with a good troll. There's nothing wrong with a good, who knows <laughs> okay. he's a troll. Yeah, Andrew we, Sharp's a good troll. Yeah, he. Uh, I just bought tickets, uh, plane tickets to his wedding. Oh yeah, September, right? He said it on his podcast. I listened to yeah. a stupid fucking podcast. All right, let's call. I gotta call Elon. We're we're late. okay. He's sitting around. Okay. Uh, the billboard cannot be up later than one week because they are sold out, and we wanted to make sure it was close enough to the stadium that it would. This <laughs> bluff. Yes. The and, end. And and even within a couple of miles, everything was sold out. So. Yeah. Anyway, I like hearing the ring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Elon. What's going on, Spike? How are you? Mike is here too. We're both here. Hey, buddy. Mike, what's up, guys? Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, when we were, I want to make sure um, right at the top. And any like, I don't even know how to plug you. So we we talked about who you are beforehand. Is it like evhoops.com? Is there anything you want to plug up top before before we get into it? I mean, there's really nothing to plug just because we are uh, like a private scouting. <laughs> We don't really make anything available to the public. We're just like international men of the mystery in the scouting world. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're just a, you know, a private scouting and consulting service that NBA teams subscribe to. And we give them a third-party opinion on the NBA draft. Perfect. We should make this podcast like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only a select few people, and they have to pay lots of money for it. What do you think? That's right. Yeah, sounds, sounds good. I think, I think your audience would be a lot smaller. Yeah. Well, you don't you don't know the size of our audience. Anyway. <laughs> I, and, I don't think you'd be able to afford to put up the uh, the billboard if you did that. Oh. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I actually, yeah, we won't even talk about the billboard. But yes, we probably couldn't. I will say that someone suggested to me on Twitter that we. That I find out how much a local ad costs during the lottery on cable and purchase <laughs> that so the lottery party would just explode in insanity when oh it popped up. Uh, but yes, no, I'm done. How much would that cost? It's actually local TV ca- cable ads are cheaper than you think. That Let's put it that way. It, I don't, it's not like $20, but it's cheaper than you think. So, so – Anyway, Elon, we have you. Yeah, so we decided you were gracious enough to suggest that we asked you to come on now. You were gracious enough to suggest that you come on again a little closer to the draft when we know the lottery order and get into the nitty gritty. I sort of wanted to talk to you, and we'll get some of the main issues on this draft. But um, your your take on last year's top guys was so interesting. I thought sort of like a retrospective on what you thought would happen and what actually happened would be pretty interesting. You know, who you were high on uh, that didn't perform as well, who maybe you weren't high on that did. Um, do you is that like something that you do normally? Do you do you re, do recon on what your what your evaluation was? Like, is that a I don't know a something that you do consciously or is it a, more of a, a subconscious thing? No, it's definitely something that I do consciously. And I also ask that my staff to do it and just kind of like look at your own personal hits and misses, what you got right and why you got it right, what you got wrong and why you got it wrong and try to learn from your mistakes. 
the, the toughest part of this industry, though, is you don't want to make too rash of a judgment too soon. We're only one year removed from the draft. We can obviously look back and try to make calls here and there. Say, hey, you know, Porzingis should have gone higher. Maybe Emmanuel Moutier should have gone higher. But when you really take into account the landscape, only one year removed, if we were to do it again, five years removed, things would change even more. So I definitely think it's important to do it. And I think there's a tremendous amount of value in it. But it's something that's fluid and will change from year to year. Is, is there a reason that you find more than others that you get something wrong? Or is it, you know what I mean? Like, is it, is there something that, uh, and maybe not even anything specific, but, but is, is there a world in which, um, there are, that those things live? You know what I mean? Uh, if that, I'm, I don't know if I'm making sense to you. Like, why do you find no, that you I, get I things wrong make- when you do Well, so I, I think there's, you could point to a lot of different situations and just try to learn from them, like to kind of segue really quick. When I look back at the 2014 draft, and you look at Shabazz Napier and Tyler Ennis and what people thought they would be, what I thought they would be, I thought they would be a lot better than they are today. What I take away from that is it's really hard to make it as a 6'1 point guard, 6'2, if you're frail, don't have a lot of tremendous physical gifts. You have a really big uphill battle, and every inch that you get knocked off on your height, you need to be that much more special. But to kind of answer your question in terms of things that maybe are areas where you might struggle with, for me personally, I know last year I had our international scout come in pre-draft, and he made the case to me that Christoph Porzingis should be the number one player in the draft. My initial reaction to him was, you just haven't seen Okafor and Towns enough, and that's why you're saying that. Yes. But that's just something where I've, I've seen Porzingis far less than he did, and I've seen Towns and Okafor far more than I saw Porzingis. So it's balancing how many times I've seen those two guys, the competition I've seen them against, and when I've seen them live something times versus Porzingis and balancing that. And that's something that I think you learn from. And, and unfortunately now what's going to happen is international players might be getting a pass for the near future due to the recency bias of Porzingis exactly. until we get burned again and we have the next Jan Vesely. But the other area that I would kind of touch on and say is a struggle is when these kids come out of the draft and they're 19 and they're just so young and they have baby fat and their game is somewhat developed, but yet it's still raw in its own unique way because they're kids. You have to really project how much better is their body going to get, what's that going to do for their game, how much more athletic can they get. So you look at a guy like Devin Booker, I really didn't like Devin Booker's body last year at Kentucky. I thought he could make the league. I thought he could be a really good shooter. I liked him. But to say I would have thought he would have been this good, I didn't see that transformation happening this quickly from a body standpoint. He'd gotten more athletic. He'd gotten more fluid with his ball skills. And I attribute that to him just being a flat-out kid and that his best basketball was still really you know, right in front of him and ahead of him. And there was so much room for him to grow. Yeah, I was real, real wrong about Devin Booker. But I think I've gotten some arguments about guys that would take him over Jaleel right now. And I think that what you said... I don't know if you can comment on this or if you want to, but uh, I think what you said about evaluating the draft too quickly afterwards and assuming that that will be that will continue to be the case, I think that gets in the way of you know natural skills and elite talent to where I 
I'm not a Jaleel Okafor fan, but I would still take him over Devin Booker now and going forward. Well, I think when you look at the draft, we could, you know, Mike, you could have your four, five, and six guys in this draft and redraft, and I could do it, Spike could do it, and it could be different all around. Like, before I went on this podcast, you know, I'm sitting in the office and talking to one of my scouts, and I'm saying, what would you put at four, five, and six? What would be your order? And my order was different from his. So, but I think you're looking at more or less tiers right now. There's little yeah. pockets of talent that you like together. So at the top, you know, you obviously have the Towns and the Porzingis tier. You could argue D'Angelo would be in that tier if you wanted to make excuses for what happened this year and kind of go to bat for him. And then in the next tier, I would say you have Okafor, Moutier, Devin Booker. You could even throw Miles Turner and Stanley, and Stanley Johnson, Justice Winslow in that tier. Right, But yeah. I, I think it's easier to kind of say – does he belong in this tier or is he lower left? And that to me is a more fun and accurate conversation. Who, if, if it's Booker, then say it's Booker, but who are you most right on that people didn't agree with you on? And who were you most wrong on in last year's draft that you can peg so far? Josh Richardson was the guy that yes. me and my staff were the most right on. We, we love the kid. Um, I intentionally did not speak about him on any of my media appearances leading up to the draft, kept him a secret just for clients. And when I we released our final, it's, I mean, I had to do that because I didn't, I didn't That's see him great. anywhere. No one, no one had him as a highly, you know, as a highly, as like a first round pick or even a second round pick. He gained some steam really late in the process due to positive workouts. But we released our draft guide beginning of June. And we said, Josh Anderson should be considered the second at the lottery ends. We had him rent that highly. So yeah. to me, that's just a guy that Tennessee wasn't very good. They were coming off a season where they, they were really good. They made a run in the tournament, but they lost Darnell Stokes. They lost Jordan McRae. People kind of thought this team's not going to be very good. Why don't we just see them? And they weren't getting as much pub as the Kentucky guys and the guys at Kansas. And what ends up happening is you only see Jack Gerson once. And if mm-hmm. you catch him on a bad day, you don't go and see them again because Tennessee is not a priority. But he was awesome as a junior, and he built on that as a senior, where the team needed him to play point guard, didn't have one, and he never played point guard really for a long period of time. So he stepped into that role, he grew as the season went along, got better, defended, the kid as a competitor, had a nice mid-range shot. Some people had question marks about his three-point shot, but my belief in his three-point, in the mid-range shot told me that his range would slowly extend over time, that he drafted and they told him you have to have a three-point shot in order to stick around. He worked on it. He got better. Now he's a vital part of their team moving forward. And mm-hmm. the fact that he played two positions in college, the one and the two, I think is really going to help him moving forward from a versatility and a value standpoint. That's good. You, My For me, for me, it was Norm Powell, and I was pretty wrong about J.P. Tokido. I still hold out hope for oh, Tokido. come on. He doesn't I do still, anything good. He's gonna be though. It's the you heard what he said. It's not the first year. You gotta look. You gotta wait some time. Be patient. Spike JP Tokido's superstar is just around the corner. <laughs> I mean, JP Tokido was a guy that once the draft rolled closer, we started to say, okay, maybe he's a second round pick. So I think he was worthy of taking in a second round and seeing what's there. But another year of school would have really done him wonders. Yeah. But then you look back on UNC's run this season, and you kind of wonder where would he have fit in. Mm-hmm. I think they found a lot of success playing Joel Berry and Marcus Page together, 
and yeah. then let Justin Jackson be that small forward. Right. So Tokido returns to that team. What happens? Is that, is that team as good? Is there too much talent? I feel like Theo Pinson kind of took Tokido's role, but to a lesser extent, and yeah, he yeah. didn't need to play Theo Pinson that much. What are we exactly. doing here? What are we? I, I want to talk. I just that's all, I want to talk about UNC's roster and and what Theo Pinson's going to be next year. That's the only thing I want to talk about. No, if you want to talk about UNC's roster, you know there's the guy on UNC's roster that I like. That I, I watch two college basketball games all year, and I like uh, what's the Bryce guy? Johnson. The John Bryce. Henson guys. Yeah, Bryce Johnson. Sure. Ah, um, uh, 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 I mean Bryce Johnson is he got better with every year of school. I'll give him yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But he's 6'9", yeah. he's not a wide body, and mm-hmm. his entire approach to basketball is jump before anybody else jumps and figure it out later. When but, you get to the league and you're 6'9", you don't have muscle, that's not enough. Uh, and I have serious concerns for how well he's going to translate. Well, I think he'll, I think he'll be like a, like a Taj Gibson type. Like uh, sort of like your first big man off the bench, like energy guy, dunks and maybe some blocks. He needs to, you know keep make his outside game more consistent but i think i think he'll find a he'll find a role there you know it's it's interesting you say that elon about him jumping and figuring it out later because exactly what i i promise we won't talk a lot about bryce johnson because i actually do have a i have a, a question about you know uh quick judgments actually um but what impressed me about him is that he seems to have really impressive body control when he's in the air. Like his, he is an athlete that seems like he, there's nothing spastic about it. So he goes up and he seemed to make a lot of moves in the air. And I was impressed with him athletically, um, which I guess is mitigated uh, some at the NBA level, but it's still there, right? I mean, if you're a great athlete, you're a great athlete in the NBA. There's just more great athletes. Sure, but I guess if Bryce Johnson played this way and he was a freshman or a sophomore, that's one thing. Or if he played this way and he was 6'11", that's a different conversation. At 6'9", 230 pounds at best, I don't think he's moving anybody. And when you're just jumping before anybody can jump in college with his impressive physical tools, kind of what you're talking about, the body control, when you're doing that in the NBA, guys are just pushing you out of the air. Guys are jumping as well as you, and they're bigger taller and longer, so they don't even need to jump as quickly as you or as high as you could. They're just going to extend and get the rebound. I don't. I just don't love his technique overall as a basketball player. The one thing I would give him is the mid-range shot did get better and yeah. his turnaround game and the post got better. To me, that's where he's going to have to hang his hat on offensively because I don't ever see him posting up in the league. It's just I, I just don't see it. And I'd roll a dice on him in the early second, but I'm just not a big fan of him compared to the market value. I would be remiss if we didn't take a moment to talk about our favorite sponsor, L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers. Of course, at 707 Walnut, always at LLPavorsky.com. I say our favorite sponsor like we have any other sponsor. And the reason I'm not doing this with Mike is because we didn't do it during the talk with Elon, so I'm doing it afterwards. By the way, LL's phone number, 215-627-2252. We've been talking about LL for a while. Look, most jewelry stores are intimidating. Most jewelry stores are, uh, you know, you walk in there, there's a ton of salespeople there. You feel pressure to buy something. You want an engagement ring. You want to take your time, and you want to talk to somebody you trust. 
who else can you trust but a guy who is one of us? If you walk into Al Pavorsky Jewelers, you just feel different. There's no one hovering over you. There's no one pressuring you. Um, and like you can feel comfortable spending whatever you need to spend. And that's for an engagement ring. It's for a Christmas present, for a birthday present, whatever. It's LL. He's one of us. He's been to all the lottery parties. Speaking of the lottery party, he will have a ton of stuff to give away. First 250 people that come up to his table get a gift bag, including a $100 gift certificate. Um, he'll be giving away a $250 gift certificate, a, uh, a string of pearls worth over $500, a pair of one-carat diamond stud earrings worth over $1,500, and, of course, the jewel of the night, be giving away that TTP, Trust the Process, diamond ring, which you can see on his Twitter, on my Twitter, on Mike's Twitter. It's unreal. It's the only one of its kind. We'll be giving that away at the lottery party, too. Of course, for every podcast, LL makes a very generous donation to the Alzheimer's Association of the Delaware Valley and Rain, LL Pavorsky Jewelers, 707 Walnut, and always at llpavorsky.com. Let me ask you something you, you mentioned early, and, and actually we've mentioned a couple of times about uh, making quick judgments. So 20 years ago, it was easier, I would imagine, to let a, a rookie develop um, on some level because there weren't, everyone's judgment wasn't so public all the time. You know, there were fewer quick judgments. I'm sure there were still people that wanted to make quick judgments, but the, it seems like the, the internet age and, the, um, and, and how quickly we move through news cycles makes us judge guys a lot quicker now than we did before. Do you – I guess when you're turning in sort of your uh, idea of how a player is going to be, does that affect your judgment? And do you think – and you can just answer the first if you don't think you can answer the second – but – how quickly they're going to get good, do you think that affects NBA decision-makers more now than it did before? I don't think NBA decision-makers are going to look at prospects and say the you know the social media stratosphere is going to come down on us really quick when this guy has a first game that's not so good. I do think when you have a tie in terms of value and talent, they might take into effect can we afford to wait or do we need somebody now? And maybe that's a more important priority now more than ever, just that decision and whether it's important for your team and your needs. But I think, you know, more than ever, you're looking at guys that get picked based on potential and upside. And to me, that's the ultimate sign of patience. So when you look at a Bruno Caboclo, why he's drafted where he's drafted, they're thinking upside, they're thinking maybe this could be the next Giannis. And even when you take Giannis, you probably talk to those guys. They, they might have said, we thought he was going to be good. I don't know if I thought he'd be this good this quick. And so it's definitely about, you know, if a patient, if a patient approach is available to an organization and you want an upside guy, you take him, you put the appropriate, you know, pieces in place to nurture him and let him grow and develop. And then you kind of just stick to your instincts and your guns that, it's going to turn into something and you don't kind of just bolt at the first sign of struggle. How much do you personally talk or you or your, your staff talk to uh, these prospects or their college coaches or their international coaches or high school coaches before you like give a team your assessment? We definitely try to do that. It's, it's you know really important. Um, you can go, we try to go through it in a variety of ways. It just depends on maybe who we have in our network that can get us that information. You're not always going to know the player 
you might know the coach, you might know the assistant coach, you might know the high school coach, you might know someone that played basketball with them at some point along the way, and you just kind of try to connect that into your your own network and get information. So to go back to Chris Porzingis, we were able to get great intel on him before the draft, just that he would have no problem being in America and kind of dealing with the American culture. He was already very Americanized and that there were times where the, the team and the coaching staff had to push him to get out of the gym because he kept working on his game, that that was a kid that really loved the game. And so we got that sort of feedback from numerous sources. And then when you kind of go to bat for Przingis, you feel really good about it. You're not worried. Yeah. Maybe he's the next Darko. Uh, oh, one question, Josh Richardson, did you, were you, did you give info to the heat? Is that, did that land with one of the guys that you put it up for? Or did somebody else take it from you? He, you can't say uh, that. I can, you can, I can neither confirm nor deny who. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't know you couldn't say but, uh, that. I'm sorry. But that, was, that was a pretty, a pretty sly question, Mike. Yeah. No, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't, I just want to, I was like, Hey, did you win? Like, did this feel like a good victory for you? I guess you feel good. Cause you said he was going to be good right. and he is good. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're just happy to see him succeeding and that people are probably going to look back and if they, you know, were to open up our draft guide, point to it, it's something that can't be changed. We can't edit it, you know, two years later. It's, right. it's there in stone and in print and people can see what we said. Okay. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I, th- I thought, that, I, thought <laughs> no, I was no, ask, cool. asking I'm, an okay I'm, question. I'm just messing, I'm just sorry, messing sorry. with you, Mike. Elon, you uh, to go back to last year's draft, and uh, obviously a few guys close to our heart. What did you think overall, uh, and in contrast to what you thought going into the year, and just on its on its own? What did you think of Okafor's uh, season? So there's things that obviously were pleasant surprises, and then there's things that you kind of expected to be an issue and were and still are an issue moving forward with Jaleel. Something that, you know, we were really happy to see was the ball handling. I mean, for a guy that size, his ability on the blocks, his ball handling is a weapon. And we had talked about it before the draft and said one of his great strengths was his ability to initiate his own offense. And that's obviously relying on ball handling. But I think he took that a step further. And that's going to be a serious weapon for him moving forward. Hopefully that doesn't take away from his post-up game. But... I think that's going to be a, a huge element for his post-up game if he can tie it together consistently for the rest of his career. And then the jump shot. You know, you look at his free throw concerns, and that was one of his biggest weaknesses. And then to see how he's kind of progressed as a shooter, he's by no means a shooter yet. But you can see flashes of why he could have a, a solid face-up game in time, maybe sooner rather than later. So those are two things that are kind of exciting. Now, Everybody kind of had criticisms about him as a rebounder and as a defender, and those two things are still evident. There's going to be games where he swallows up rebounds and is, puts up a great box score, and sometimes that's when he doesn't play a lot with another big and gets to play center and no one was injured. But that's an issue moving forward. It's got to be a more consistent mentality for him to hit the glass because he does have soft hands, but I think it's about his interest and his mentality. And the same goes for defense. It's never been an important part of his DNA and his approach but he's a big, massive dude, and he understands positioning on offense. He understands timing and angles. It's about translating that to the defensive end. And the hope would be that at some point he doesn't want to be scored on anymore, and he just takes it as a pride 
standpoint and works on moving forward. And it's not going to always be an offensive-oriented player. And maybe that's okay if he's playing against the Orleans or, or MB, but it's definitely something where he needs to show improvement moving forward. What, what about his... Because in college, he was a good passer out of the post, and he sort of just forgot about it, or at least didn't totally. trust his teammates. What what sort of thing... Like, How do you react to, to, I guess, that disappearing, and do you anticipate it like coming back? It's, it's, a great, it's a great point. In college, he was a really good passer. He handled double teams like a pro. He kicked it out the shooters out of the post. And then you look at him in the NBA, and he's a ball stopper. He's pretty much as big of a black hole as you can be as a rookie. You would hope that that passing is still in there somewhere. Maybe that's just not having a lot of shooters and scoring options around him to help him. Or maybe that's just they want, they want him to score. If he needs to score, dump the ball to him on the blocks and let him go to work. At the end of the day, I'm kind of just making excuses for him, and yeah. it didn't showcase enough of that passing gene and that passing skill, and we need to see it again moving forward. Uh, what did you think of Russell? Because I Russell, you were pretty high you on all him, criticize I him. Yeah. yeah, I mean, listen, I should have had Towns ahead of him, and I should have had Porzingis ahead of him. That's an area where we whiffed on. Those guys should have been one and two in this past draft. Now I look at D'Angelo – and I still would take him third. I don't think the Lakers did him any favors. Yeah. Byron Scott had him in and out of the doghouse all season. I'll never understand why you don't want to put your number two overall pick in the best position to succeed possible. If you want to take an old-school, you know, oriented approach and make him earn everything, I get it to some extent, but I think what that ended up doing was forcing D'Angelo to have a quicker trigger as a scorer and to look for his scoring first and foremost and yeah. pass second because I think he didn't understand how else to earn Byron Scott's respect and playing time. And the passing was pretty much the best thing about him. So I just don't love the way he was utilized. I still think he's really talented. When he got playing time and opportunity and freedom, he showed that. Then again, you know, the Nick Young stuff happened, and that's just a sign of his immaturity. And I don't think that all the things that were going on around the Lakers this season helped him grow up. But hopefully, now that the Kobe retirement tour is over, they can focus on building this team. So if, if it's safe to say that if you were the Sixers, you would trade Jaleel for D'Angelo. Would you trade, if you're the Lakers, D'Angelo for Jaleel? I mean, I guess considering all of the... the whatever team issues that may have uh, arose out of the Nick Young thing. So if I'm a, it's tough, you know, what do you do with that locker room is, I mean, at the same time, do you really care what Nick Young thinks for the future? No, now, I'll say that you don't, you, you don't, but are the ramifications of what happened with DeAndre Russell repairable and how long will that take? Even if Nick Young's not on a team next year, Mm-hmm. Still, I wouldn't trade D'Angelo for Jaleel on the Lakers. I think D'Angelo's a better talent, and I don't think Jaleel Okafor fits with Julius Randle. I think right. it's really awkward. I think they're both kind of ball-dominant scorers within 15 feet. So I would keep D'Angelo. I think he's the third-best player in this draft. And like you said, if I'm the Sixers, I would definitely trade Okafor for D'Angelo. But we had you know D'Angelo very high and higher than Okafor before the draft. We'll, we'll, one second, Spike, we'll get into the, to this draft. I don't know how much time we have. Spike keeps track of that. But I did want to hear if you have any thoughts on 
the back what, to JP Tokido. <laughs> what do you do if you had the the you know, say you're Brian Colangelo, you're coming into a situation where you didn't draft any of these three big guys, but here you are with a presumably healthy Joel Embiid to start next season, Jaleel after his rookie season, and Nerlens when you need to give him a contract after after this coming season, right? Yeah, after this coming season, he'll need a contract. Uh, and what you would do and what you'd prioritize with those three big guys. The first thing is making sure Embiid's healthy. You want to yes. understand what you have in him. So, unfortunately, you might have to be a little bit gun-shy when it comes to dealing anybody because you mm-hmm. don't want to make a deal right off the bat and, you know, knock on wood, something happened to Embiid. If Embiid's healthy and you know quickly into the season he's working his way up, maybe he's on a minute count and they're kind of letting him play more and more and more and the skill level is what we thought it would be, and from an injury standpoint, he's not moving, you know, poorly. The doctors are checking him out okay. I think then you slowly maybe start exploring what to do with Nerlens or Jaleel or both. But it all depends on what the value is and what you can get. And that's kind of where the catch-22 is because you want to wait to make sure what you have an Embiid. But if you're waiting, you're not really showcasing Jaleel or Nerlens because there's no mm-hmm. way to showcase all three of those guys. Right. And so as you do that and you kind of go further into the season, you're potentially dampening their value. And it's also more difficult to trade them at that point than it would be in the offseason, maybe pre-draft. And I think that's going to be the dilemma. I would definitely listen to offers, see if I could find pieces that fit. And it just depends, you know, what's out there and what's available. Now, I would say, and I'm, I'm not trying to be the Debbie Downer here, but not a lot of teams are in a position that the Sixers are in where they have three bigs that are all very talented and valuable and were high draft picks, but don't necessarily fit together. So if you're going to trade one of those guys for something, you just might not get the equal value on the other end because one other team is going to have a talented young player that you actually want that they want to give up simply because of fit. Yeah. Um, yeah, we should get into this year because we uh, we got like ten. All right, left. fine. Well, I'm just saying, okay. We could talk about JP Tokido. We didn't even talk about Mario Hazoni. We'll ask him next time because I I remember Elange was trying to talk me out of uh, Hazonia last time. So we'll. But in the same in the same way that D'Angelo didn't get any favors in L.A., Hazoni didn't get any favors playing for Scott Skiles in, or- in Orlando. Uh, it was sort of uneven. I watched him like five times. Anyway, anyway, I want to talk about this year. There's no way we can't get out of this podcast without talking about this year. That's fair. All right. Can we just talk? Can we just talk about Dave Cool? Yes, yes, I would love to talk about Dave Cool. <laughs> Bring him back. <laughs> um, all right, this year, just some very basic things. Uh, again, we'll get into nitty gritty next time. The the it seems really split now. Sixers fans do not seem split on. Ingram Simmons, it seems like it has, and, and Mike can can tell me if I, I'm feeling it wrong, but it feels like we're like at 75% Ingram over Simmons with Sixers fans at this point. Um, where, at, at, at this point right now, where do you sit with those two guys? It's a huge debate in our offices, and we've yep. gone back and forth with it all season. Everybody was on Team Simmons at the gate, and then as the season goes on, you slowly start to come over to the Ingram argument. We're still split. There's some guys who are pro-Ingram, and there's some that are pro-Simmons. I think that the hesitation with Simmons right now is 
how can you take somebody number one who has as many question marks and red flags as Ben Simmons has? And then you look at Brandon Ingram, he's younger, there's no red flags on his resume, he got better as the season went along, he looks so much better from where he was last year when he was a high school senior, whereas you look at Simmons, and while the body has improved, his game more or less looks the same, and in fact, he's not doing stuff that I saw him do in high school. I remember watching him against Ivan Rab when they were both high school seniors, and Simmons shut him down. He locked him up. It was one of the worst games I've ever seen Ivan Rapp play. Mm-hmm. And I have seen him defend to that level all season. We can blame Johnny Jones. We could blame the fit. We could blame Tim Quarterman. We could just blame the fact that he had to go to college for whatever, you know, for, because of the rules. But no one forced this kid to go to college. He could have gone and played internationally for a year. He chose to go to LSU. No one forced him to do that. I know that he had a you know, family member connection there. But at some point, how many excuses do you want to make for somebody you're taking number one? Right. And I think that's, that's the dilemma. Whereas I look at Ingram, and not only are there no excuses, not only are there no red flags, but to me, Ingram can play with anybody. He can be fit around with anyone alongside him. Whereas Simmons, kind of like Tilly Locafor, is really specific. You cannot put him with four other guys that can't shoot. You mm-hmm. can't put him at small forward right now because he can't shoot. So he could play power forward, but how many power forwards bring up the ball with regularity? And if you're not letting Simmons bring up the ball and play point forward, I think you're wasting his talents. So that's kind of a dilemma right now. And that's really, you know, a roundabout way of not answering your question and just telling you that it's a split <laughs> because I know that I waver every day. Right now I'm on Team Ingram. Yeah, it sounds and like that. The biggest thing that sold me on Ingram today and where I am on my stance is I had serious reservations about his ability to create separation and get by guys cleanly. I didn't think he was quick twitch enough. And then I went back and I watched Durant his last year at Texas. I watched a couple games and he had a similar problem. He wasn't getting by guys that easily. The thing about Durant was he had that beautiful jump shot and the ability to shoot off the bounce at a lethal level for his size. You could see how much that helped him, that threat. Ingram doesn't shoot it that way. His catch and shoot jump shot's really good, but he can't really pull up that easily or explosively. But the thing that Ingram has over Durant is he's a better ball handler at the same age, he's a better passer at the same age, and he defends better at the same age. So once I kind of went back and watched Durant tape, it opened my eyes a little bit to the Ingram argument. Yeah, I don't think Ingram is the athlete that Durant is either. I think just in terms of Ingram seems to move a little slower. He seems to take he seems to need to like, need to like gather himself a lot, whereas Durant was I think just not only faster and more athletic and he's a little bit longer than Ingram was. I think expecting Ingram to be Durant is setting yourself up to be disappointed. But I, and on the other hand, I think the things that people talk about Simmons and say he's a four, what kind of four would bring up the ball, and like, what do you do with him, and you have to build a team around him. That is kind of what you want in a superstar, as in a guy with like different skills that you have to build your team around because you want to. For me, I go back and forth because Ingram fits with the Sixers so well, but I have reservations about him ever being able to score uh, as easily like off the, ball, off the dribble or 
in any way where he's the number one option. And Simmons to me has the higher ceiling just just based on if he can get that if he can get a jump shot that can get to even like LeBron levels, then I think that 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 opens up something to become like oh here's a unique superstar. Whereas Ingram is sort of like you know a rich man's I don't want to say Robert Covington, but Robert Covington. <laughs> No, I mean, if, if you're going to say downside for Brandon Ingram, this is the one we've had all year, and this is probably now going to pop up somewhere else, but I think it's downside for Tayshaun Prince. Yeah. Now, if he ends up being Tayshaun Prince and you take him one, you're bummed in a big way. My quick argument to that would be maybe Tayshaun doesn't land Detroit off the bounce. He doesn't have to develop into the player he became, and he's allowed to experiment more offensively. And it's a different conversation. What I would say in terms of the, your argument, don't you want to build around a superstar? You obviously do, but my two arguments to that, one would be when you look at the best superstars in the league, not all of them, but a lot of them, you could put anyone next to them. Durant, yeah. Paul George, sure. Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, LeBron, Carl Anthony Towns on his way up. Porzingis. You can play anybody with these guys. That's one of the things that makes them great. And now... The second thing that I would say is we would all probably agree that we didn't like Ben Simmons' makeup this year. We didn't like his, his way he carried himself on the court when they were losing. The fact that he didn't really do much in those situations kind of felt like he quit at times. It almost feels like defensively he's okay if his guy beats him. There's just a lot of little things that reared its head that none of us are probably fans of. And the best player in your team kind of influences the makeup and the mentality of the rest of your team. So Ben Simmons is my best player, and those are legitimate concerns that we all kind of agree with, and maybe he grows out of that, maybe he doesn't. But let's sure. say some of that never goes away. You're now going to have a team of people who think that's an okay way to play basketball. And mm-hmm. I've seen too many games where Ben Simmons' team is down, and it doesn't look like he cares. It looks like he's got other interests on his mind, and he'd rather be somewhere else, and once he realizes... It's not a close game or he doesn't like what his teammates are doing. He kind of checks out. And if he's my best player and that's his makeup moving forward, and that's a big if because maybe he'll grow out of it. Then I'm really scared for the way my team's going to be from a mentality standpoint. I like that we have you for another one after this because we can get specific based on what where the Sixers land. But let's stay broad and say – if if you would rather have, because this the question question gets asked to us a lot, if you'd rather have a top two pick or picks three and four, if you're the Sixers, what do you take? Top two. It's uh, to me. I mean, it's it's an interesting question, and it would be more interesting if I felt stronger about everybody from three down, and it would be even more interesting if we looked at Dragon Bender and said he could play next to Embiid because Nerlens isn't here or Okaporis is here. Right. But if we're just looking at the team right now as it is, I'd rather have a chance to get Simmons or Ingram. I think there's a very big drop-off after that. And getting Dragon Bender or Jalen Brown or Jamal Murray and Jalen Brown, that's nice. It's a nice consolation prize, but it's a consolation prize. I'd rather have you know, the, the creme de la creme of this draft. Who and I'm just I'm just firing here because the spike is out of his element and I love it. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm not out of my element. Oh, you're out of your element. Go. Uh, he's he's watching YouTube highlights of college players. No, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't started doing that yet. I don't do that until after the uh, until after the lottery. So. Great. It's a good schedule to keep. Yeah. Uh, do you have any favorite prospects in this draft? Because I I have them in like every draft. But favorite prospects in this draft that you just kind of like and you start to like look past their flaws. For me, that's Chris Dunn. Is there a guy that well, you sort of get in arguments with, and, and someone is like, well, "What about this thing?" And you're like, "Yeah, but he can get better at that more than more than other guys." Well, so the one quick guy I'll give you who was our guy, and I never would have said this before because I didn't think he was ranked high enough everywhere else, but now he's he's not declaring for the draft; he's returning for another year of school. Oh, yeah. We loved Ivan Rad. Uh huh. I don't. I never understood why the market value on him wasn't higher. People watched him play and immediately said, that kid's soft, that kid hates contact. And I think that that's such an easy misconception to have because he's just weak. But the kid battles. He was always in the mix rebounding, great hands, had no help from other big men usually on the floor. When he did, it was some stiff that they played for five minutes and took out. But I watched this kid against Virginia and guys like Anthony Gill and Mike Toby were just yeah. beating him up. He couldn't, he could not compete with those guys from a physicality standpoint. But he kept coming to battle, and by the end of the game, he never floated out, never got the mess, and he wore them down. Where they were exhausted, this kid was coming up with rebounds and big moments. He's a guy that I think the train for him, the Ivan Rab hype train, is going to be big time next year. Uh-huh. And he has a really good season for Cal, and he makes a case to be one of the top guys selected. Obviously, it's a really good draft next year compared to this year, and there's a really good incoming freshman class. But I love Ivan Rab, big time fan. Desno Valentine is another guy where I don't think I have him as high as some people do, but I love what he's going to bring to your locker room, to your practice, to your huddles, all the little stuff which at some point, if we keep moving them up and up and up, it shouldn't matter that much if the skills aren't good enough. But I think he's a guy that's going to hold people accountable. He's someone that understands the game and that advanced level. I just remember watching him against Rutgers, and he came out of the game. Izzo pulls him out. He walks over next to Izzo, stands next to Izzo, and they communicate like two coaches and two equals. They're just exchanging ideas. It's not Izzo coaching Denzel. It's two coaches having a powwow. He literally stands there for 10 seconds and then goes back into the game. It was like Izzo just wanted to have a coaches meeting with Denzel and then send him back into the game. And the way they communicated, it's, I think he sees the game at a rare level. And while I don't think he has extremely high upside, I think his character and his intangibles, if he were to go to a team that is devoid of leadership, he could quickly ascend into that role, and he's gonna he's gonna rub off on other people in a really positive way. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. I would say one more question. Spike's gonna yeah. make us leave, but I, uh, I have. Uh, there seems to be a bunch of guys this year. I'm just looking at a couple guys that are like very athletic, sort of like Mike Mamula types, where they're like combine all stars, but like don't actually make it play in games. And for me, that's a guy like Jalen Brown. Guys like even you know Marquise Chris and to some extent like Deontay Davis, it seems like guys that are that sort of landed on prospect lists because of their ability, but not 
it hasn't translated in games. Now they're all young. Those all the guys I named are 18, 19 years old. How much do you take stock in whether or not they've actually put it together on the court versus what they can do in you know workouts? I mean, each guy you named is unique and different in their own way. Sure. You know, Jalen Brown had a ton of disappointing stretches. You could argue more more lows than highs. His NCAA tournament game was terrible. But in a league where three and D guys, and not just three and D guys, but guys that can do that at a high level and almost be scorer and D guys, guys that can score on offense and defend their, defend their own position, that is extremely valuable and it's rare. And there aren't a lot of guys that can do that. Mm-hmm. Jalen has that kind of upside, and now you get into upside, but it's a weak draft at the top. So when you look at a guy that has the potential to be 10 years down the road, one of the three to five best players in this draft, at some point you have to roll the dice when you're looking at other guys that you don't see that sort of upside star power and ability to address a need that's really hard to find in free agency. And other guys, you know, Deontay Davis is unique. I wish he would have gone back to school. His tools are excellent. He's long, and his body's going to fill out, and he's athletic, and his instincts are good. But he declared, and now you're going to have to figure out, is he going to naturally progress in the league? Can we depend on that? Do we have to have the perfect plan in place to develop him? Or is he going to miss out on maturation and developing that's needed in college and he won't get in the NBA because we're going to send him down to the league a little bit. We don't have time to play him. And that could happen to Deontay Davis, which could lead to him becoming the next Ed Davis. Right. And if that happens, you're disappointed. But that's the question you're going to have to wrestle with yourself about is natural progression. And if these guys can do that in the league. All right. I don't want to stop. Spike's making me stop. No, we, well, the podcast, when they get longer than an hour... Uh, here's people don't want people stop listening, then they stop listening. But that's look, fine, Mike. Mike, I'll save some for we, next time. Yeah, why don't we save some for next time? When we, know, I don't want to ask all the same questions next time. So I got so many questions. Elon Vinokarov, uh, you can they can follow you on Twitter at ev hoops. Is that what it is? Or no, no, it's not at ev hoops. It's evhoops dot com. And what's your Twitter? At Elon Vino, V I N O. Right, and but you don't give them any good information anyway because you have to pay for the good information. <laughs> no, it's more like, hey guys, I was on uh, the right to Ricky Sanchez, check it out, or I'm going on WIP tomorrow. But either way, for the next month, we're all bunkering down and hibernating and kind of getting ready for the home stretch. That's exciting. Right. I'm excited. Well, I appreciate it, man. This was one of our uh, our most popular podcasts last year, and we look forward to having you on again. We're, we're doubling up on you, so uh, your, your pay will be doubled too. We'll double. Your pay. <laughs> you guys got to get me a billboard now. Yeah, we'll get you a billboard. We'll get you absolutely. A Everybody we'll, gets a billboard. We'll get Philip on that. All right, all yeah. right, Elon. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. How going? Um. Are we done? Yeah, let's just uh, wrap it up. I don't know if I don't know if I can hang up on just Elon. So, um, oh no, I think there there he goes. Um, he's great. He's great. He I don't, he just likes talking about basketball. So I want to. Oh, I love no, Mike. I love hearing all that Mike. stuff about like Mike. like what he can and can't say. Next time, next time. And I want to. I want to know what he can't say. That's next that's time. anytime I hear that stuff, I want to know. 
This has been the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast brought to you by L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, uh, where Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast listeners go to get their billboards. 707 Walnut, always at LLPavorsky.com. Are you down with TTP? Yes. You know, lick face. All right. See you, buddy. Good job. All right. See you.